0: Hello. Hello. Chris here with another episode of the make it podcast. And this will be a special episode because I'm going to bring to you a recent panel conversation. I was a part of at the Swift summit uh, a couple of weekends ago on the panel with me were Ken Carpenter, Stuart Bishop, Dave Moody, and Andy Van Roon. It was moderated by Valerie Connolly and, uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. We discussed pitching and funding your film project, and there were a lot of wonderful insights from the entire panel. Uh, I just contributed a tiny little bit. So I really hope you enjoyed this special bonus episode. And until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged. Thank you for listening and enjoy.
1: We'd like to all of you to introduce yourself a little bit, give a little background, and uh, uh, then we'll get into questions.
2: Sure. My name is Ken Carpenter. I'm a producer. I live here in Nashville. I uh, my short story is that uh, I spent twenty some years doing every sort of production imaginable, uh, other than making movies. Produced and directed fifty music videos here in town and. Lots of commercials and branding films, and concerts, and documentaries, um, but finally had bandwidth about seven years ago to step into the feature film business. That is where I apply my trade.
3: Hi, I'm Stuart Bishop, um co-founder, CEO of Katapi, which is actually an online distribution system. We run about 3,000 channels, um, broadcasting worldwide for pretty much every industry out there. Um, my background... Pure technology, started out 30 plus years ago, helping computerize the British Stock Exchange. Moved on from there, traveled all around the world, uh, worked with pretty much every communications and media company on the planet, on the technology side. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what we said. Good. Uh, I'm Dave
4: Mooney. I, um, I um, uh, currently run a, a family uh, record label that's 60 years old. We've had, uh, Distributed currently by Sony and uh, we've been uh, in the music business literally all my life and uh, Also ventured into films uh, about 10 years ago and made uh, produced seven feature films uh, many of them distributed on all of your your mainstay uh, Amazon Apple uh, by by some uh, various distributors and and, uh, and markets along the way, so just uh, just love what I do, feel like I'm blessed to be, uh, I've always made a living doing what I love to do. So, can't beat that.
0: I'm Chris Barkley, I am the co-founder of Bonsai Creative. Uh, We are a branding and marketing firm for independent film uh, in particular. Uh, We have three feature films in worldwide distribution. Uh, We did a two year run on Netflix with uh, a film that I did with Dave Moody here. Uh, And uh, two of our films are on Paramount Plus now. We have a five-star podcast named Make It, which you can see a sign of right there, over there. Uh, we do panels, keynotes, jurors, uh, uh, all sorts of work in the independent film space, and we got two books on the way. Um, I think that's it. That's a good... I think that's, I think that's the uh, intro. Andy?
5: I'm Andy Van Roon. I'm involved in the film and television industry.
1: Very involved. <laughs> <laughs> is.
5: All right. Just happy
1: to be on the free. Nadia's Not gonna start first with a question. We're gonna rotate our questions. We put two panels together because it was so comprehensive we had to do that.
6: Yeah. So welcome everybody. Um Stuart, I wanted to start with you. If you could help us, kind of the most important thing, understand how the media distribution model has evolved since the inception of streaming.
3: Okay. Yeah. Streaming. <laughs> I, for most people, I'd say that we thought about streaming back when uh, you know, Netflix decided to try and start whatever they were doing, um, and now they're crashing and burning. But um, <laughs> really, I'd say the evolution of where we are today compared to where we were is going from one single product where you can put your media out, which was very difficult to get onto. You had to basically give up all your rights and kind of get there, to now where you can create your own niche channel, you can go live for pennies on the dollar. you can have your own product out there, you can do behind the scenes, you can do anything that you want for almost nothing. I'd say almost nothing because if you do it for nothing and you sit in the YouTube world, you'll make nothing. Um, But if you actually want to truly make money, you're going to pay a small amount to have a product there. You're going to make it work. You're going to get your distribution there. But you want to work with a a, a good-sized distribution company to do that. So it comes down to the evolution comes from technology as well as the evolution of actually where the industry is going. The industry has gone from everything free on YouTube to Netflix where they were charging to now. Netflix trying not to charge and add advertising, but then you had people like Hulu came along in the middle that pirated everyone's content. And then, did anyone know that? Hulu's start was actually pirating all the TV channels and they just put them out there. They claimed innocence and said no one had rights to do it anyway on the streaming platforms and no one was watching it on dial-up, but they managed to do it. Um, they were using Plex or something at the time. And then now, you know, Hulu became its own product, but that's why it's an advertising model because they wanted to just you know do the advertising and kind of make that work. Um, But if you look at where we're going, um, niche product, niche audiences, targeted using every single screen out there, how it works, being able to get that aggregated distribution, being able to syndicate. So if you think of uh, most quality shows that you watch today, they're in the niche audience, are actually syndicated. So they've got their own channel, they've got their own website, they've got their own brand, they've got their own everything else, but they're also putting it out on They're putting it on, you know, the the list goes on of all these syndicated places you can dump your content now. But they'll pick it up for free. They'll give you some advertising dollars for it. YouTube's coming along, back into the game. You can now get your products out there on a YouTube channel. You can get high viewership on that um, and actually start to make money. But you need a lot of viewership on YouTube before you can actually get paid. Um, But the other channels will actually pay you from inception. So it's kind of nice. You can actually make a fair amount of revenue from that. So if you look at the true evolution of it, it's gone from. pretty much a, a hope it works on one product which was the web to now being it always should work you should always have a product that works and gets out there and it should be on every single platform and um, monetization has become a lot simpler thank you you want to add to that you
1: can answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, i'm sorry yeah
4: <laughs> no you guys well, I are right trying right
3: to follow up on, on
4: on basically the uh, Just the evolution from my point of view was as a record label back in 2007 and 2008 when we were one of the first uh, adapters of the the iTunes platform with our little label. We had a thousand titles by then. And basically what happened is our revenue from 2007 to 2008
1: dropped
4: by 80%. Okay? Guess what? Sony Music did as well. I mean, everybody The whole the whole iTunes streaming, pay a dollar for something you used to pay $15 for, all went away. And I, I think the film industry saw that, so that the music business became kind of like the sacrificial lamb to that. And, uh, and so they've really held off over this time. There's just been little increments. So what's happened is after sticking that out for three or four years, now... We make substantial amount of income again from our streaming, and in an individual plays, but it just took a long time. So I think the film industry just has 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 taken this uh, slower approach, and now we end up with so many things. But it's sure. it still can be, uh, you know, uh, the, the days of that big dollar for your for in that one place. You know, That's you're cool. chasing pennies and mega pennies. But if you can get it, enough of them, then you you know you can pay your investors back for your film, or you can make a profit on your music project or TV show or whatever. Yeah,
3: yeah it's all about CPM. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah, so get a good CPM, got a product people want in a niche audience that you can get that advertising money, and you're gonna you sitting pretty.
1: Well, thank you guys. That's that's very helpful. We're, we we did combine two ca- panels, and the other panel is pitching and funding, which is without your pitching and funding, you have nothing to stream. So I think it might be a good idea to get a question uh, on that, and everybody can answer if you wish. Um, uh, There are so many good questions here. It's really hard to pick which one. Um, How do different project types require different paths for financing? So that's uh, an Andy question. So, Andy, can you answer that? Oh, no, you can
5: all answer. It's okay. Chris, go ahead. <laughs>
1: Come on, Andy. Give us a start.
5: Ken Carpenter, by the way, has gotten a number of projects financed, so he, he's, he could be a case study on that. Uh, all
1: right, Ken. You ready?
2: Uh, sure. Can you repeat
1: the question? Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference? I mean, how do, how do different projects types require different paths for financing?
2: Well, every single one requires a different path. If if there's one adage that I think is true that's at the heart of this business is that no two movies materialize in the same way, I'm sure you guys yes. would. Absolutely. Um, and then there's so many different paths to funding. There's private equity, the investor path. There is um, debt financing, loans against tax incentives. And... Um, foreign agreements. There is, of course, um, selling directly to distributors, which is a good and viable method, if one can stomach all that that involves. Mm. So I I think just, um, well, uh, forgive me for how elementary this answer is, but just having a clear line of sight on where your project fits in the greater marketplace, I think answers that question best. Um, if, if you're doing a million dollar indie film, uh, going to a major studio is not your best route to get your film financed. If you've drunk the Kool-Aid, drank the Kool-Aid, past tense of drink the Kool-Aid, uh, and stumbled upon a $20 million feature film, 30, 40, $50 million feature film idea, uh, funding that through private equity, is is going to be a big lift so um again just really really having like i said a clear line of sight on what am i making and then in the world of uh production where do those kinds of films normally get funded is sort of your first step i promised an elementary answer and that i think was one what about
1: what about co-productions on that
0: yeah that's what was the question
1: what about co- tied to that? What about co-productions as a means of?
0: I mean, yeah, I think I think Ken kind of kind of nailed it. It, you no, know, the first thing you want to do is I, I mean, the initial question is about path. So you wouldn't pitch a drama to Blumhouse, right? Right, so. You, you really have to be able to articulate what your project is, what it costs, and have yourself ready to go first. Then you can pursue those those paths. Um, and then also, I think just knowing how unions are involved and what your budget's going to be and how you set your budget. Um, what we see here in Tennessee a lot of times is every movie costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, no matter what it is. It magically costs two fifty. Well, why? because they get the rebate at that or the state grant at that level but what we always say is what does it really cost what would it cost to make this movie great it might cost more to make it profitable which might sound antithetical but it's but it's the truth and uh you know one thing i hate to hear is it costs less so you're going to recoup faster wrong incorrect yeah yeah I agree with that.
2: Yep. So Stuart hit the nail on the head a moment ago. You, you used, and I'm, I'm probably out of context, but you used the phrase, uh, make something people want to see.
3: Yeah.
2: And that answers
3: it does. a mean, lot of questions. Right? I mean, going back to, obviously, my key is distribution. These guys are all the smart people. We just do the distribution. But <laughs> when you look at what you're distributing, it goes back to your audience. You're going to get investors if you can prove you have an audience. So... Some of the ways in which, you know, we've seen people do this is they'll create some amazing build-up to what it is, right? So they've, they've produced it, kind of got it in the can, but they haven't edited it yet. <laughs> so putting a load of stuff out there to make it so I've got this great thing and get a following going, you know, use social media, use the ability to market this with behind-the-scenes shoots of what's coming up. Just give them all this, the tease it's no different than anything else we were just actually i sat in on the legal panel it was the same thing you when you're going to go in and you're going to go talk and pitch something to get money you've got to have all the legal stuff in place but you're going to sit there and you're going to understand that um you don't give everything away right so you don't give the whole movie away that that's you know your, your your little reels that you put out there for your promos that's not putting the movie out on the table that's saying these are kind of the hot spots sometimes they miss the bucket sometimes i think they show the whole film but um if you can get an audience, you can get funded. And and if, you're, and if your funders
4: come from that primary audience, I think that's sometimes an, another important element. In other words, you know I may know people and you may know people if you've written a family or a faith film or script, that, that would be willing to fund that for maybe the calls or the message or the, or whatever. And then if you go do a psych thriller, they're like, hey, let me just see if we can't make a, you know, the, the next uh, you know poltergeist or something for five dollars and see if we can't make me. And so you got different in, different investors based on the project. And that's at least been my experience in the seven or eight films we've, we've done. Okay,
6: thank you. Um, so yeah, making films can, uh, that end up with legitimate distribution and, and how, I mean, you guys kind of touched upon that. Um, and what options are there for media creators when wanting to distribute digitally? Uh, I mean, those are kind of two questions, but, um,
2: I'll I'll jump in and um, add to what C- Chris said. Uh, I'm I'm of the opinion that it's harder to make a low budget film than it is a reasonably budgeted film. And, and uh, again, this this is a, a super oversimplification, but uh, knowing how much work goes into making a film. I would encourage, perhaps, you to uh, consider that that you you, you might as well set your sights at doing it at a level that's going to equip you to go into the marketplace with indeed something that people want to see. This notion that you're going to recoup faster because you've spent less is really nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. Um, Every distributor network I've dealt with, I mean, they start with who? What do you think the question starts with? Well, yeah. What's about it? who's in your picture?
1: Who? Yeah. Right, right.
2: And 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 guess what? This business isn't built around who's in your picture. I mean, there's a giant world that's monetizing the answer to that question, and we have to give ourselves the resources to be able to answer that question meaningfully, both with distributors and audiences. I mean, audiences have a zillion choices out there. They'd rather watch something with somebody they know and like. So um, I think in answer to the question of how do we equip ourselves to interface well with legitimate distributors, it's it's trying to get up on a playing field of, of having the resource necessary to build a project in a, in a viable way in the marketplace. Super hard, but I don't know that it's any harder than doing a, I, I've not done a 250000 movie, dollar movie. I wouldn't want to tackle that. That that sounds excruciating to me. <laughs> to then to then be able to to do that, and then have to look an investor in the eye, and say, "Now I'm going to go try to recoup that investment a quarter million dollars." That's a lot of money to anybody, and um, it's a competitive marketplace out there. So th- that's a hard word, perhaps, but uh, I think it's a salient one. <clears throat> that there there's no
4: nobility in doing something so low that
2: nobody wants it in the, yeah,
4: in the marketplace and, and, and being uh, you know uh being viable to to be uh, recoupable if you will I mean how many projects are made that actually break even and how many that don't you know so you really have to create you have to understand that everybody's trying to put your film out for nothing. <laughs> you know i mean the no, the day, i mean and and so so you spent 250 2 million whatever i mean where is that money coming back from and then and, and do you have enough marketing and other pieces to it to,
3: to draw people to i think you know going to that also how many people here hash still have a dvd player in their house Seriously? <laughs> wow, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll that. Ask <laughs> us <to get> again Might <laughs> <laughs> maybe zero. Does no, the no, the, the point I'm going with is you know, the, you know, you go with a cheaper, low budget movies. Where did you used to get them from? Well, the guys with DVD players can still watch them because they're in the bargain bucket at Walmart or Target yeah. or whatever else for a buck, right? A buck for a movie? You know how I many of those you've got to hope someone digs through that bucket to find to recoup $250,000? Especially when you know, three people's got their hands in it. That's exactly Sorry, right. right. Yeah. So you—it's not going to happen. So I mean, it's it, and now you know again distribution, which is what I do. You're, you're sitting there and you're looking at it. You're not going to—you're not going to recoup a, a dollar a piece. You might sell the movie a, a dollar a piece, but your audience is much larger than a bargain bucket because instantly you go global. Once you put it out, you going back to the legal guys next door, kind of got to get the rights. But if you get all that all in place correctly, you can go global. And you can go global with a product that maybe you think is a niche audience just within the town where it was shot, but you'll be amazed at how broad that can go. And I think that is one of the big changes when you look at the distribution piece, is that you've gone from a DVD or a VHS. I could go back. Not a VHS player. Betamax. Now, Betamax, no, anyone, sorry. Um, but you, got, you you got a way to get it out there now. I mean, you know, you can laugh about the DVD player. I can say who's still got a flip phone, but I'm sure there's someone here <laughs> with one of those. Um, but you, everyone consumes now. And I'll give you an example of consumption. consumption consumption. The, uh, the good old debt trial that's going on now, which is just a torture on television, right? So, um, you know, we're distributing that for, for Court TV and everyone else. And you sit and you watch that, and sadly I have you know, my team sitting sees it so it's kind of sad but you sit and you watch this the biggest element of that show that actually got the highest viewership of was a clip they created and pumped out on youtube and it was when the lady broke wind in the courtroom and Deb was on the stand and everyone laughed at this lady break it has nothing to do with the trial that's how absurd it's become i mean that's where we are And, and that was up for four minutes on youtube got five million views i mean it was absolutely insane um but it but again no one cares about the trial really although it is just a complete. Anyway, I won't go there. Um, I think the other thing is we've been approached to do distribution, and this is a really amusing one. So you talk about low budget, we can go way below 250 for this. There are cameras on railroads, right? Cameras just sitting there watching railroad crossings. I'm think, who would watch that? There are thousands of cameras set up across the US to watch railroad crossings. Their viewership is phenomenal. They're, the revenue they make off advertising is through the roof. What do you think they're looking for? It's not the trains. It's all the absurdity that you wouldn't believe that happens on a railroad track. I mean, (laughs) it's all about the audience. I'll finish on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a question. We're talking about distribution, which is later in the process. But many of us want to know what we can do to avoid killing our pitch what are the details and the things that we need to do or not do during the pitch to whomever it is, whether it's a distributor or an equity investor or your grandmother, whoever it is, how do you define a pitch detail that might hurt your pitch against the ones that will make your pitch?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really difficult um, yeah. to, so you need a lot of at-bats to pitch well. You're passionate about your project, so you're going to say a lot about it. And the thing you have to understand when you go in with a creative project is that an equity investor is not looking for a reason to qualify you. We're not listening for uh, sort of your reason why we should pay for it. We're looking for a reason to disqualify you. And so uh, you're pitching, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden you mention This song that's going to play during this amazing scene. And then all of a sudden I think, does she have the rights to that song? Probably not. What's it going to take to get the rights to that? That's a big song. I'm out. And so you're just looking for, as an investor, I'm looking for reasons to say no to you. Because now I'm going to be married to you. If I say yes to you, I'm married to you for the foreseeable future. And we just met.
1: So I don't know if
0: I want to marry you.
1: So is the mindset a little bit like on Shark Tank?
0: Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I would say so. Can
1: you were going to say I, something. I think
2: Chris is absolutely right. Uh, and, and maybe this illustration helps, but uh, I happen to get uh, a lot of screenplays sent my way and uh, way more than I can ultimately read. And oftentimes if I do or when I do open one, I'm looking for that reason that allows me to stop reading after page three. <clears throat> Whether it's uh, a, a improper formatting or <clears throat> whatever it is, a page full of action description rather than dialogue. Somebody that's breaking the rules saves me that very precious hour and 15 and minutes, hour and a half that I would otherwise give to reading a script. If I can disqualify it, boom! On to my pursuit of looking for the next good one. It's the—you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. It's the same way in any other, in any number of lanes in the business. And I think when you're out pitching, <clears throat> uh, the the moment at which you veer from reality into BS, I think that's that's a moment at which you're out of the game. And so, indeed, <clears throat> Chris, it's whether it's a song or Somebody coming in and um, saying, "Here's the four hundred thousand dollar movie," and I know, I, I know that John Travolta is going to want to play the <laughs> guy. In, but but when they when they when they start saying the things that say you have no awareness of of what it takes to actually make something in this business, mm-hmm. that'll disqualify you. So, yeah. um, I often say to uh, other emerging filmmakers, wary wary the guy or woman who talks too much or too big this this business is full of barnum and bailey esque hucksters and we don't need any more of those and 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 i know we're all desperate to pitch our projects we're in front of somebody and we get super enthusiastic but when you when you promise the unreasonable or when you make assertions that are just you, somebody's going to roll their eyes at you're you're out of the game. So fly straight with people, see your project squarely, be able to talk about how this project at this budget level fits in the marketplace in this way, and ergo is a good investment. That people will respond to positively. Yeah, and, and by the, can I add one other thing? I didn't want to. <laughs> you, you, you know what I <clears throat> made? I think a disparaging comment about two hundred fifty thousand dollar films, and I didn't mean to. <clears throat> there is real legitimacy in that. I, I, I did do one lower budget. I've done a number of lower budget films, but <clears throat> one that I look at of the several that I've done most favorably is one that I did um, for less than a million dollars. But but you have to... Um, the, the crazy conundrum about this business, of course, is it's very catch-22. It's What have you done to prove that you belong in the game and how to get started. And we could do seven seminars on how to answer that question. But you've got to you've got to prove that you can do it and do it well and that you can tell a good story. And um, all that to say, a $250,000 film, if you fund it correctly, if it's your portal, or a $100,000 film, or $50,000 film, to say, I can build something <clears throat> that has a, a, a good, legitimate beginning middle and an end and i can evidence that i have an understanding of nuanced performances and good cinematography you know those sort of things if if a lower budget film helps step you up to the plate of expressing that go forth and conquer that's yeah. that's a good thing
4: I, when the first film uh was made with my son uh was uh i spent fifteen thousand dollars and probably uh, it's the only film ever made 50 times on my money. So, I do the math,
1: <laughs> so,
4: but but I do not. I mean, I, I would never ever wish that on my worst enemy ever again. You know, because you ha- I had to parlay every last contact favor. I mean, we put 400 extras in that film. You know, I mean you. I mean, it just rolls and rolls and rolls wow. for days. And did, but did but, you test them all for COVID? I uh, no, 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 no. This was, this, this was way before COVID. This was this was uh, a long time ago. But the point I'm making is I didn't want to take anybody's money until I knew I could do it myself. That was just uh, maybe a simple old North Carolina thing for me. But I was going to spend my own money just to learn the process. It's not the greatest film in the world. Uh, and I know the cinematographer is great, even though the only guy I truly paid to. Uh, uh, what he was worth was the DP, and if you're gonna do it, get a good actor and get a good DP, and the rest of it can kinda, you know, uh, do the best you can and find people that are willing to help you. What I have found over the years is people in the film industry want, them that want to be in it, I heard some stories earlier, and a couple other that was saying here, they're willing to do it, you know, just to learn, so, uh, you know, just parlay that into it. But yeah, I like making, I'd way rather make a million dollar film than I, Fifteen thousand dollar
6: one, but anyway. Okay. On that note, sort of, um, what what are the best practices to bear in mind when approaching distributors? I mean, how do you how do you get distribution if you've made your perfect film?
3: Oh, don't look at me.
0: You guys <laughs> <laughs> Well, th- there's a lot of different scenarios that. That could kind of play into that question. It's 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 super broad because, like Kim was saying earlier, ideally you have a packaged film that can sell before principal photography, right? To a distributor. That's ideal, and that's all about pre-pro. And like Dave said, like leveraging your resources. I've always found it interesting that. Uh, I'll talk to someone and they spent 30 grand on their short film and then I know a guy who spent zero dollars on his short film and it's 10x better. How's that happen? Yeah. So it's resourcefulness, it's is your story even good? Have you looked yourself in the mirror? Are you honestly, you know, thinking that this is going to be great or you know, are you just stuck to it? It's, it's pride in the way, but distribution wise, try to sell it up front. That's a packaging deal. Foreign rights, as Kim was talking about, that's a packaging deal. You're going to do that up front. In your scenario, like you've already made the movie. Now you're going to do a short festival run. Never do more than five festivals. Have one moonshot festival in there that, that you think is above your pay grade. Go for it. See if you get accepted there. But I think if you've already made your film and you're picking your festivals and you're picking your approach, put your film in markets. There's no reason to, you know, enter uh, the Laffy Taffy International dot com film festival so you can get a laurel on your poster. Go put your movie in a market where somebody can see it and maybe you can interest one of those distributor uh, uh, representatives of a distributor to a beer and dinner on you so you can talk about your plan and your film
4: or whatever. Not, those people aren't going to come to non-market festivals. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we we often think is when you're trying to be the filmmaker, the the content creator, is that you know this is this guy here, you know, the evil distributors who we're we're ultimately trying to you know pitch and sell to. The truth of the matter is he's just as eager to hear and see your content than, than we are to, to, to show it to him. And I think we sometimes. Forget that, particularly today when there's, you know, content. They they say content's king, it still is
3: king. It's going to always be king. Yeah, if there's no content, exactly. If there isn't content and it's not good content, there is no distribution. The only reason distribution companies make money is because the content's good. I always say, you know, with our product, I'll have customers come to us and I'll say, you know, are you concerned if this takes off and it's the biggest movie or the biggest video or the biggest show that you've done, the biggest live event? Nope. It's the greatest thing that could happen because everyone's happy. You're always going to come back to me because everyone saw it. You're always going to be, you're going to create something else because you created something good. Your audience is going to love it. So they're going to follow you. So then you're going to have a following, which is going to help you as well. So you want to play into this world of understand, first of all, your product, and it'll go back. I always go back full circle, understand your audience. Your audience is the most important thing. Without an audience, you have nothing. I mean, it's, you've got to have a good product, but you also have to have a good product. Someone wants to watch because you could create the greatest thing in the world. And if no one wants it, uh, it's not going to work. And it has to be something that's in today's world, current. You know, we, we always, you know, as actually I had an <coughs> economics uh, teacher that taught me, he said, you know, there was a guy that used to create buggy whips. It was the greatest product out there, the buggy whip. Yeah. Right? so you think about that. It's back in the time when you're sitting on your horse and cart and going down the street. Well, then the combustion engine came around. Of course, now we're going to electric, so I'm still old. Um, I should should have a DVD plan. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if you think about it, then the buggy whip guy didn't keep up, right? Because he's got nothing to go. So your product has to also stay current and your distribution has to stay current. Kind of like me going back and saying, Netflix is doomed, you know, that was how I started, right? Sad, but true. Um, I have a shelf life for Netflix. I think that, um, you know, you have to continually keep your eye on the game. You, you need to really be right there. And if you're not, and you're not there with your audience, you're not packaging the right products in the right way, and you're not distributing the right way, then all of those have to align or something's just not going to flow. I'll, I'll just make
2: a quick note, uh, if it's applicable to anybody. If, if you are going the route of trying to have your film, uh, if you're trying to secure distribution after you've made your film, which I've done, and, 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 and there's a lot of pluses to that. I know it's nice to have your film funded by an entity before you go, but there's also something when you can create a bit of a uh, <clears throat> demand for a, a project. But I've made good use of a well-constructed, well-built first-look trailer yep. um, after you've finished your film. Something it, it, uh, I keep going down rabbit trails. I I agree with what these guys say. People are looking for content. There's, there's. I I think sometimes, and and I was guilty of this. I had this um, misunderstanding that there was a veil of um, accessibility to people in the business. I don't believe that anymore. Think of it as if we're in the sports business. I mean, who isn't looking for the next great breakthrough athlete that's going to go onto the team and help you win? Hollywood is exactly the same. They're looking for the next great, um, filmmaker or talent that they want to get before the, their competitor does. So you can get to people. Um, the flip side of that is they'll chew you up and spit you out in a New York minute. If you like Chris said, if you're not, you, you know, to the point and evidencing that, you know how your film fits in the marketplace. But that first look trailer, um, it it's a big lift to get somebody perhaps to watch your film in its entirety, but that first look trailer can be a great door opener.
1: Let's go back. Let's go back to the money side for a minute and talk about the difference between funds and funding, financing. Pardon, me. funds and financing. Andy, I'd like to direct it at you.
5: Thank you. Um, forgive me, I'm fighting some allergies and lack of sleep, so uh, I'm, I've been very uh, appreciative of all the things that have been said here today um, and a lot of great insights and practical information. I think there's, a, going back to the scales uh, discussion, there's a vast scale of uh, project types that you could make and financing and distribution are inextricably linked. You can't do one without thinking about the other. Um, and the, so you can talk about the micro-budget project. You can talk about a $7,000 paranormal activity project uh, that got distributed by Paramount and made over $100 million. Uh, you can also talk about, you know, the other side of the scale, which is $200 million. Every one of those types of projects requires a different trajectory. What they what they all require, though, is some kind of a plan if you're trying to fund it, unless you're talking about a $7,000 thing you're going to make at home. But um, the elements of a plan are you know defining your concept, the project you're after, the target market you're after, uh, a synopsis, the intended cast, the list of characters, um, and uh, your budget, a production schedule, a day out of days if you're going to raise money. For those who don't know what a day out of days is, that's basically how many days you're going to need each of your cast members. And the reason you need that is because if you're going to extend any offers to actors that Ken was talking about that have some notoriety, you need to know when you make an offer how many days of shooting you're going to need that actor for in order to make a proper offer. Uh, when you then go to talk to investors, you then go armed with a uh, perhaps some kind of a sizzler, and the sizzler on the front end really won't be obviously a cut of the film unless you've already shot some footage, but it will be things that the director has done beforehand, your cinematographer. I would also add to what Mr. Moody was saying. Cinematographer is important, director is important, but also your editor is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. You can basically get all the great footage in the world if you don't get the right coverage. You really need to talk to your editor. You need the storyboard ahead of time. You need to get, uh, you know, in sync with your, with your potential editor. And sometimes that's yourself, but sometimes it's somebody else who really knows what their, you know, what their crap is all about. Um, and when you put all that together into a package and you present that to potential equity investors and they see that you've got your act together. You're not in there to sort of just pitching some idea. You're saying, here's my business plan. Here are my historical comparables. These are films that have been products that I've made before or that are like the one I've made before. Here's a range of what they've made. If I'm making a horror movie or or a uh, science fiction movie or an action adventure or a comedy, here are like 10 to 20 or 30 historical comparables, just like the movie I'm about to make. And they've made a range from like, you know, $1 million to $50 million in terms of their global revenues. You can go to places like Film Profits or a place called Grace Note, uh, Baseline Intelligence, Uh, to get all this data. It's basically global data. It shows what a film cost, what the cost for distribution was, what they made on ancillary revenues, what they made in domestic and foreign territories, whether it's streaming, whether it's domestic theatrical, which is a long shot when you're making, you know, one of your earlier projects. But it can happen. People have made, you know, like one film um, and, uh, and gone on to, you know, for a few hundred thousand dollars and gone on to make like Star Wars Rogue One uh, or Godzilla as their as their second and third movies. That's happened. So, but the reality is that you need to put together all these business materials, and then when you go in and talk to potential investors, it's not just about relying on a pitch. The pitch is critical, absolutely. But you know, uh, what's really important for an equity investor is sort of seeing you know the offering document and you know what they're going to be making, how many units you're going to be selling for your your project. If you're going to be doing a $100,000 movie, uh, you're usually these days using an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation. And so whether it's like a $100,000 or half a million or a million or three million, you form an LLC around your property. You offer a number of units. So if you want to sell it for a million dollars, you might have 10 units a $100,000 each. Like Ken was saying, you know, you want to go in there basically indicating that you've that you have some idea of really what you're doing as as a content creator, but you also have to have some idea of what you're doing as a business person. And if you're not a business person, then couple together with a business person. So you go in as a content creator, but you also go in as a business person or a business team. It's not all on your shoulders, it's on your team's shoulders. So when you're putting together a plan, you want to show all the personnel that are involved in your company that are doing the project, what they've done before. When you're putting a plan together, it's an organic instrument. And that organic instrument, you can you can use that plan to accumulate personnel. There are many personnel in this town that have made big movies or have been involved in them. We had a guy in the panel yesterday, Peter Curlin, one of my best friends, who's been on every Cone Brothers movie ever made. Every Barry Levinson movie you ever made, you put him in your business plan, then you've got somebody who's been part of, a crew member or crew members, that have been part of projects that have made a lot of money. Basically, so I'm directing this thing, and I'm showing you that I'm a professional as a producer or a director, and I've assembled a powerful team that's been profitable in the past. So this is like what an equity investor wants to know, getting back to Nadia's question. The difference between funds and financing, as Ken was kind of saying before, with like different types of financing, funds is kind of like usually associated with, here's cash to make my movie. Financing is all about the way you would structure your your overall financing. That may involve some service equity, the way that Mr. Moody was saying, where you got everybody, you know, for $15,000, your major expense is pizza for craft service, right? Over an 18-day shoot, probably, three, six days. But the reality is that... Um, you know, when you financing can involve some uh, uh, equity financing, which means cash, uh, investors can involve lender financing, which is a bank financing or some kind of private lender. No lender is going to basically take any risk. They need to collateralize. So as Ken was saying, you basically have a worldwide sales agent or a foreign sales partner. And probably Naughty has done a lot of this. But the point is that you want to get you want to do pre-sales. So like uh, enough. Uh, foreign buyers who will give you minimum guarantees once you deliver your film. Those are contracts that then go to the bank. So the bank, once the film is delivered, the bank then collects that money from those foreign buyers. So you may have a film that basically has 30% equity up front and 70% uh, uh, debt debt financed by a bank, and that has to get collateralized, and you put all that together. Other types of financing, though, are the service equity. You may get people who will contribute X amount of value to your overall budget for only fifty percent of what they normally charge, that can that could be part of the equity, the financing of your project. As Ken was also saying, you can have uh, you know uh, uh, film incentives. There are different different states. There are some rebates. There are uh, transferable tax credits in Georgia. We have now one called an effigy tax credit, which is very different than those two. But the reality is that there are entities out there like film finances. Uh, uh, not film finance, but uh, 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 there's a film finance group, which I, I can talk about later, but they basically will cash flow a, a, uh, an anticipated... Uh, cash uh, film incentive from any state provided you get certified with that state so in other words if you apply for a film incentive with a state like Georgia or Tennessee or whatever or New York or Illinois and you get certified and approved for that there are entities out there that will cash flow that so you can use that for your budget that's financing so the difference between funds which is cash and financing is that you can put together this whole elaborate structure to put together all the necessary financing to ultimately you know, get your film off the ground. That's all I'll say about it.
1: It's just that simple. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Work with a business person, and then it will be simple. But actually,
1: so, if you really dig into what Andy's saying and learn how to do it and, and frustrate yourself to pieces, it's a great exercise. And then you get the business person, right, Andy? You get somebody who really can pull these people together.
5: Well, you've done a masterful job with your project, Love Is. And you uh, you certainly, uh, you know, charged ahead and persevered, and you've learned a great deal of business information. Yeah. And you've done a fantastic job along those lines. So I think, as a, I think as a creative, you need to be aware of all the financial components and right. all the business components. Very important. But it is awesome to have somebody that has uh, some track record on the business side as your partner, because guess what? Your equity investors and your lenders and everybody else involved in the business side will have more confidence if you can show you've got, like, you know, a business partner that has some background in finance or the business side of the whole thing. They will trust that person, and they'll trust the numbers and whatever they put together numbers-wise, you know, as I think Chris was saying, you don't want to – you don't really want to, like, you know – or or some of our panelists were also saying, you don't really want to hype your numbers. You want to be conservative, if anything. So when you put together your historical comparables, that's a very important thing to to look up if you don't already know what that is. Historical comps are critical to basically comparing whatever you think your film may make, but never ever sort of take the high end. It's like the Olympics. They throw out the bottom and they throw out the top scores and you get whatever's in the middle. When you're putting together your projections... You want to like have like, you know 10 historical comparables or 30. You then take up like the total amount that all those films made, divide them by 30, and that's just sort of your mean earning. And when you're putting together your business plan, you really don't want to say, this is what we think our film's going to make. You want to be conservative, and you want to basically say, somewhere between the middle and the worst-case scenario is what we think this film can safely make. made. Why? It's because that safe earning relates to your budget. And if that safe earning level doesn't really correspond and you need to you need to adjust your budget to correspond to what you think that film can actually earn and your investors will really respect the fact that you've been conservative about your projections however, if your film was a knockout success, it might earn the upper end you know so that's like the grand slam you don't want to promise the grand slam you want to promise the conservative side of, of your projections but Your investors will really respect you if you basically put all that business information together and you do show them a package, even if they can't understand it, that has a production schedule, that has a production cash flow schedule, that has a day out of days, that has your plan, that has your line item budget. Have all that ready so you can show them with a pile of information and locations, uh, you know, location schedules, you know, your your, uh, wish list cast and, uh, and all that information, even if they don't. Read it all. They'll look at it and say, "This is a group that's professional."
4: You know, there's uh, there was a reason that I I believe that Walt Disney was successful, and that was his brother Roy. I think you know every every good film team in the world. I mean, let's let's look what happened after that. It was Eisner and Frank Wells. If you know anything about Disney, you had the creative guy, you had the the business guy, guy. exactly, And and it's you really can't, it's called the film business or film, It's it, it, you can't separate the two.
3: It, from the standpoint, from a distribution standpoint, it goes back to what I said right at the beginning. Now, I'm not a guy that, I always say I have absolutely nothing to do with anything that happens on the camera. We just get it out there. Uh, but what we see, it's what I said at the beginning, is you can create, and it's, it's actually what Andy was saying, You and, and Ken to that point, You you create that promo, You create that real, which is what they've done. You create that buzz. Social media is your win. These crowdfunding environments can work. It's a challenge. Um, But whether that's the future of funding, not not my wheelhouse, but I can say that creating the creation of something to get the buzz, to get the audience, to get what's gonna happen. And everyone here, I think, has said, if you have an audience and you can talk to that, and you just talked about it, think about your distribution, think about how, you know, what's that range? Am I going to hit this audience am I going to hit this audience? And what am I going to talk about? What do I need as my minimum? So if you think about all those things and you look at how you can build that before you've even produced a movie, that's a big win. And in today's world, and, and I, I'm stunned by it, having been doing streaming for a long time, 15, 16 years. Um, after it's, DVD. After DVD. <laughs> actually, while DVD was still out there, we were streaming. Um, but you it's that has evolved dramatically i mean um so but social media on top of that that hasn't even been around that long but there's a there is a massive way to build an audience if you do social media correctly and i'll finish on one little part social media if someone comes to you and says i can do your social media thing for you really look into it because most of them can't
0: Can I amend to that, Stuart?
3: Yeah. <laughs> and he can. So, yeah. right. so,
0: so, yeah, so with social media, um, when people say do your social media, um, that is not you uh, posting a picture of your project on your personal social media page. No. <laughs> uh, social media is almost like Andy described with financing, which I thought was really well put. Um, it's a plan. So if you're doing social media without a publicist and without ad spend, you have no chance
3: no
0: no chance you need a you need pr you need ad spend you need a content plan you need to hire somebody to create you um almost a project bible where the colors are there you have the right images there they're high resolution images You have the black and white you have everything you need so that it can go across a, any medium all at once you need some sort of aggregating account that can push all those out at the same time and be on a schedule and um, I think when you, like you said, Stuart, when you hire that person that can do that and you vet them, that person's going to do it for you. So you can focus on what you're good at and they can focus on what they're good at. And it's pretty cool when it happens because you're being promoted and creating buzz and at times even making money while you're sleeping.
1: Can
2: I,
0: can I give one
1: party
0: one, thought? <laughs> I, home, I just okay.
1: flew home <laughs> from
0: Salt Lake <laughs> City.
2: <laughs> I, I just came in from Angel Studios. who's doing The Chosen last night. And uh, it's, it's a, I've, I've got a new film going there. And it's a brilliant crowdfunding model. The great news is there are so many emerging opportunities for us as filmmakers. The streaming world has just created a heyday of production. And The Chosen, there's so many models. I still believe in the motion picture theater. Me too. I, I think, Me too. thank you, Top Gun. People are going back to the movies. So I, I believe it. Yeah. How many things are there to do in America on a Friday night? I mean. People want to go out. They want to go to the movies. But anyway, off the social media. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: you might not want the answer there. Just just for a a (laughs) Friday. Let
2: let me leave this one thought, and I I, I promised you can count on me for the elementary thoughts at the beginning, and I don't want to end with one. But you know, we drank from the fire hose today of Andy Van Roon (laughs) And, and all these guys. I mean, such a great wealth of information. And it's—I um, I know it can be daunting to think um, how do you how do you assimilate all that and and actually you, you know bring it all together and make it happen. But there's one again very elementary truth that that I I think drives this business, and it's when you get past all that we've talked about today, there's a foundational truth that good art rises. Mm -hmm. And that answers so many questions, whether you're an actor, writer, director, producer, distributor, whatever you're doing, good art rises, which is to say that in in in, in the frustrating world of trying to figure out how do I make it all happen, focus on your craft. Focus on your craft. How do you get better today at learning about and doing what you do? Producing, directing, writing, whatever it is. And that that's what people are looking for, the content providers. They're, they're looking for good craft. So uh, that's a very pragmatic step you can take every day. It's just how do I make my craft stronger, knowing that somehow in this wacky business, good art ultimately rises.
5: That's a bumper sticker. You better trademark that
1: (laughs) Let's thank these guys
0: You've been listening To the Make It Podcast To find out more information about this week's topics Including links to relevant blog posts Projects and indie creatives Please visit our website At www.banzai.film If you haven't already You can join our podcast community On Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for make it bonsai creative and the show will pop right up you now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast if you love make it and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community please visit www.bonsai.film and click contribute contributions start at only five dollars monthly You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.